Thank you, team, for facilitating our worship this morning. And good morning. Good to see you here today. I, uh, I want to let you know that I am not accountable for anything that I say this morning. And the reason for that is that I just came off, there's two reasons actually, I just came off a week of speaking at the, the Woodlands Camp in North Georgia, and I spent the whole week with teenagers, so that's part of it. And then the other part is that this weekend, my soon-to-be in-laws are visiting here for the very first time. So that is... I think the men here in particular... The married men, that is, in particular, I have your mercy and kind and grace, I'm sure. So this is a fun sermon. I have no accountability for what I'm going to say. Uh, we're going to take a break from our Acts series this weekend, as I have some big news that I want to share with you. And so what we're going to do is I want to share the news and give some detail and then open the scriptures and apply it to this new day, new chapter in our church's story. So I want to tell you the story. Many of you know this story, but that's okay. Let's just remind ourselves of the story. Back in October, our elders went away on a retreat, and there had been much time and prayer and discussion that led up to that, but we went away on a retreat, and and we just wanted to seek the Lord and to really nail down like, what is, what is next for us? Where do we think that God is taking us, leading us as a church? And we came back from that and shared then with the congregation, beginning in December, a very pithy little vision statement that we feel, we felt summarized where we thought both, both uh, circumstances and wisdom and, and God's direction was leading us. So that statement was, and I stood and said, folks, here's what, we're, what I think we're going to be doing that we want to multiply disciples, there's the Great Commission, through multiple sites and multiple partnerships. And you've heard that now a hundred times, and, and uh, you know it well. And so we said, we don't know what it means, really. We don't know where it's going exactly. And some of you are like, we want more details. We're like, we wish we had some, but we don't right now. And so we just said, this is our vision. We have a vision. And will you follow with us? And so we kicked off a fundraiser then in January. Uh, the Mission Them, that's what we call the whole thing, Mission Them, the Mission Them fundraiser. Uh, and ran that like January through April, raised almost $3 million uh, towards Mission Them, a number that we hope continues to increase as more and more people catch a vision for this vision and get on board. Well, during that time, we uh, were communicating and trying to share as much as we could. We had several things kind of in the potential hopper. And I said a few times to you, at least I said, you know, there's some big things I can't tell you about them right now. And uh, many of you wanted details, but we're like, I can't really share that right now. Just be in prayer and, and we'll see what God does. Well, we had a few directions that we were pursuing at that time, but one of the things that popped up in January was that there was a local church uh, that there was at least the possibility of us partnering with, potentially merging with. And we had informal discussions with them. We started having more formal discussions with them. And the church, and and you know this already, the church uh, was uh, Community Bible Church of Cedar Lake. 
And so we were talking and praying and it, the discussions kind of meandered, you know, as these things go. And at times it looked like it was going to happen. At times it looked like it wasn't going to happen. Uh, but we went on a retreat then, their elders and our elders in April. And we similarly were like, okay, let's nail this down. Do we think that this is something that God would, would have? And we came out of that retreat with both elder teams uh, approving of taking this to our two churches for affirmation. So we announced it then the next weekend, and we began then to try to communicate about this because we have never done something like this, and they had never done something like this. So this is new territory for us, and we shared and prayed and talked. We had town halls and FAQs that were putting out, and a few weeks ago, June 25th, we had a vote of affirmation here at, at Bethel Church, and we're waiting for them, for Community Bible, to uh, do the same thing. So this last weekend, uh, I, and we sent an email, I know many of you know this already, but let's act like you don't. This last weekend, uh, we were so very pleased that uh, Community Bible Church also voted affirmation for this merger to happen. And essentially, there's some paperwork yet, but essentially, as of last Sunday, Community Bible Church and Bethel Church have merged into one church, and we are one church in two locations. So praise God for that. We do indeed praise the Lord for that. And when I think about just however many months ago this was, when we were standing before you saying, this is our vision, we don't know what it means. Uh, to And I, I see Craig, and we probably have some other elders here. I think I saw Jack here. And, you know, the retreats and things that we've done where we just are like, God, we don't know where this is going necessarily, but we're trusting you. And to think that here we are uh, at the at the end of July, having already now uh, merged with the local, congr- with the local congregation, excited about renewing ministry in Southeast Lake County and what God might might do with this. So a um, couple of details now that I want to share with you. First of all, we are one church in two locations. We're not two churches. Uh, I don't even know what that would mean. Never mind. So we're one church in two locations. The way that we're going to refer to this is that we have Bethel Church in Crown Point and we have Bethel Church in Cedar Lake. And so uh, we'll have, or maybe like Cedar Lake campus, Crown Point campus, get used to that kind of language. That's what we mean by this. And it's kind of cool, isn't it? Because you have Bethel Church and you have Crown Point, two words beginning with C, and Cedar Lake, two words beginning with C, which means that the next place that we go has to be two words beginning with C. And last night somebody shouted out, Cedar Rapids, Iowa which I'm from Iowa, so that would be a wonderful thing. Uh, although everyone's already going to heaven there. They live there. Anyway, uh, you might have seen the movie. Uh, so here are some details regarding the upcoming timeline. Today, July 22nd, they're at Community Bible Church. They are having their final services kind of as Community Bible Church, and, and you certainly can be in prayer for them. Next weekend is our soft start. And the reason I say soft start is that it's one thing to say, hey, we're one church. But there are so many things that have to be done and figured out and worked out and and all the rest that 
it's officially beginning, but it's, it's, yeah, it's going to take a while for us to make this all happen. Next weekend is our annual lake uh, baptism service. Now, for many years, we've had our summer lake baptism at Lake Michigan, and we thought that given this merger and uh, all of that, that it would be a wonderful opportunity for us to have our lake baptism at Cedar Lake this summer and to have a big combined kind of experience with uh, both congregations having our very first time uh, together. So that's what we're going to do next weekend. We'll have our baptism service at six o'clock at the, uh, at the Cedar Lake Conference Center, which maybe next week we'll have maps or something available in case you don't know how to get there. And we're also planning on having, uh, like a kind of a ice cream social or something like that after the service so that we can allow people to meet and fellowship and to begin to put this thing together into one in terms of relationships. So, That's going to be a great time. Hope that you can come. Now, one of the things that we also are dealing with is that there is not a great deal of space there currently. Now, we think with some remodeling, we can get a little bit more space. But this is important because if like 500, 800 of you, 1,000 of you decide next weekend, hey, it's the soft starts, let's go down there and check it out. You're going to be standing in the parking lot, okay? There is not room, uh, there's not much room for space for people right now. So uh, in light of the fact that many are going to want to at least check it out, we next weekend at 4 o'clock are going to have an open house at... That campus, got to get used to saying that, at that campus, uh, from 4 to 5.45. And the idea here is that you can go to the open house, you can walk around, you can see the facility, get a sense of the place, and then just, it's only like two miles from there to go over to the conference center and to be a part of the baptism service. So, in order to see it and to check it out and to keep you all from going there next Sunday for church, we're going to have an open house and uh, that'll be your opportunity to see the facility, the church is the people, this is the facility, uh, and the campus. September 16th will be uh, our grand opening, and we're hoping to integrate all the things that need to be integrated sufficiently that by September 16th it will feel like uh, Bethel Church there, and we'll be able to pull that off. That also will be All About Him weekend. Normally we have this in August. This year we're going to do it September 16th. The, uh, in both at both campuses. All right. Uh, let me see what other details I have here. Yes. We have identified interim campus leadership for our Cedar Lake campus, and I wanted to tell you who that is going to be. There is one individual from their staff who will co-pastor with one individual from our staff, and the individual from their staff is a man by the name of Harry Beamer. Uh, we had him in a video uh, a few weeks ago, and so he will be co-pastoring there with the individual from our staff, and his name is Tony Sorcy. And Tony is in the service somewhere. Tony, would you stand? Prayed earlier. So congratulations, Tony. All right, so Tony will be primarily... There in Cedar Lake, he'll still have responsibilities here. And again, it's one church, so the distinction is not, don't make a hard line between there and here, it is one church. 
And Tony will be giving some uh, pastoral care and leadership there, along with Harry. And uh, again, there's a thousand and one details for us to figure out in this. And there are going to be things that are clunky, like don't go well. We're going to make mistakes. We've never done this before. So uh, any expectations of perfection, throw them out the window. There are going to be some hard things uh, to do here. But by this fall, we hope that uh, we'll have a few hundred of our current Crown Point campus people who will be worshiping and serving there in Cedar Lake. And we'll see how that all kind of settles out by that time. Okay. Right now, I'd like to lead us in a prayer regarding this, and then we'll get into God's word. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, today we thank you that you have moved in this way to do what churches don't do well, and that is to unify. Father, we know that your people are very good at dividing and leaving, but not so good at coming and joining. And Lord, I pray that you would, by your grace, help us to do this well. We pray for uh, these three to 400 new family members that are now joining our church family that we are locking arms and hearts with. Lord, we pray that you would unify us, that we would truly uh, be pulling the same direction and, and, and excited to see boys and girls, men and women reached with the gospel in Southeast Lake County. Father, we pray for them today, Community Bible Church, as they uh, spend some time remembering and celebrating uh, what you have done there. And Father, we pray that that legacy would live on and be a tremendous joy to them and to us, as the only legacy that matters is the, the name and the fame of Christ. And we pray that that would happen in Southeast Lake County and that you would be pleased. So we we pray over this. I also want to spend a moment and just to pray for the congregations that are gathering in Aurora, Colorado today. Uh, such a tragedy, the greatest uh, tragic mass shooting in U.S. history uh, there in that community. I pray for my friend, Pastor Mike Romberger at Mission Hills Community Church in Littleton who no doubt today is standing in front of his pulpit and looking at his people and talking about the reality of evil and the brevity of life and what it means to live for eternity. Lord, I pray that you would bless him and all the other faithful gospel ministers and pastors and churches. And may the fruit of this evil be the spread of the gospel and that they would see in this act of violence the greatest act of love one who didn't take a life but gave his life to save many. And so we pray in the name of that one, our Redeemer Christ. Amen. In light of welcoming several hundred people into our church family, I thought it would be a very appropriate weekend for us to open the scriptures and to speak on the subject of hospitality. Christian hospitality. And I'd like to ask you, if you have a Bible, to turn to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, this is a chapter that uh, is famous for its parables, and we're going to look at a part of one of those parables, the parable of the sheep and the goats. 
I begin reading now in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty, or give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus here is describing final judgment. There is coming a day when all of us, all of mankind, will stand before God, will stand before Christ. And we'll give an account of ourselves. Now, right now, some of you, maybe you have eschatology and you're trying to jam your eschatology into the parable of the sheep and the goats. Don't do that. That's not the point of the parable. It is the broader reality that there is coming a day when the two kinds of people that there are in the world will be evident because the king is going to separate all humanity into two broad categories, which he describes metaphorically in the parable as the sheep and the goats. Now, I don't know why sheep, uh, shepherds separate sheep and goats. I don't have the foggiest idea. And maybe somebody after the service will tell me. Maybe they eat something different. I don't know. Again, I don't know. But the point is, is that they do this. Uh, and the sheep, he says, are going to be put over on the right, and the goats will be put on the left. Now, the metaphor here is that the sheep are those who are uh, children of God. These are the, the redeemed. These are, we sometimes use this language, these are the saved. These are the regenerate. These are the, those that are under God's grace. These are those whose sins have been forgiven. The goats then in the, in the metaphor, the parable are those that are not that. They are not under God's grace. They, their sins are not forgiven. In other words, they stand before God to give an account of their life and they are sinners. Just like we are. Again, don't, the, it's, don't get too convoluted in the parable. You could, cause you could say, well, what turns a goat into a sheep? No one's ever seen a goat turn into a sheep. I don't get this. I don't understand it. It's a parable, okay? Don't get too tripped up in all of this. The reality is two kinds of groups, and we're, we're supposed to ask ourselves, well, which one am I? Am I going to be a sheep? Am I going to be a goat? Am I under God's grace or not? So, In the parable, then, we see that there is one reason here that hospitality is so very important. And it is this, that Jesus ties the works of hospitality as evidences of those whose sins are forgiven. What is the difference between the sheep and the goats? It's not that the the goats have billy goat horns or something like that. It is the acts and the works that they do. 
Now again, some of you right now are going, wait a second, we're not saved by our acts and our works. We are saved by grace. We are saved by faith. And indeed, that is the case. The Bible makes that clear, that we don't merit favor with God. I don't do these things so that I can be saved. But the Bible also makes it clear that those whose hearts have been transformed by the miracle of regeneration, of being born again, the Spirit of God coming and dwelling within me by faith, that the fruit of that is a life that is changed. And those changes don't earn our salvation. Rather, they show that we are saved. And there's a, there's a difference between heaven and hell in that distinction. Now, let's look again at the list. Okay? Look at the list of things that I think we have it here. What does he list as evidences of those that are the sheep? Meeting the needs of the hungry. Providing drink to the thirsty. Providing shelter for strangers. Providing clothing. Visiting people that are in prison. What's striking about this list is what's not very striking about it. Or to maybe say it this way, what's remarkable about the list is that it is so unremarkable. Like, if I was to write this, I would think that the difference between those that are saved and those that are not saved are really remarkable things. Like the sheep, the saved, are those that they've reached hundreds of people for Christ. They went to the mission field in some faraway place. Like Woodlands Camp. <laughs> I suffered there this week. I mean, that Starbucks they have at the camp, it is uh, rough. Really, really rough. Yeah. They actually do have one of those kind of things there. So, Anyway. Uh, there's, there's no reward in heaven for going to Woodlands Camp, I'm pretty sure. It's just too plush and nice. But what if I went to uh, Bolivia? Or what if I went to uh, the Sahara? Or what if I did that? some great, like, sacrifice? That would be what it takes to sort of really show people, show myself, that I am saved. No. The list, it's not there anymore, but the list is ordinary. Somebody's hungry. I give them food. Somebody's in distress, prison or otherwise, and I go and I visit them. Somebody is lacking clothing, and I have some, and I give it to them. This list is so humdrum. It's like, who can't do these things, right? Which is both, I think, encouraging and challenging. It's encouraging Because there isn't a one of us here who couldn't leave here today and do the very things on the list. And that is part of the challenge, I think, is that we miss the reality that living out the Christian life is is expressing kindness and grace and the love of God in the ordinary things of life, in the humdrum of day-to-day living, in the people that God brings into my life. Jesus said in Mark 9, you want to talk about plain and ordinary. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. A cup of water. Who can't extend a cup of water? Are you telling me that a cup of water to somebody who's thirsty is something that somehow matters in the eyes of God? That is what Jesus is saying. Big and small, every act of kindness, or what I'm calling hospitality and love, 
is an evidence that I have tasted of God's grace and love in my own life. This is Christian hospitality. How we relate and how we serve other people. Now let's talk about God's kind of hospitality then, okay? God's kind of hospitality. Do you know that God has been very hospitable to us? Let me give you two very clear examples. In creation, God has shown hospitality. Within the first two chapters of Genesis, we see this. God builds a house. You know what house he builds? The universe, right? And specifically, the earth. And what does he say to Adam and Eve in Genesis 2, 15? The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. How hospitable has God been to us? He built a house. It's his house. It's not our house. He puts us in the house. And he says, you can eat anything that you want here. This all is here for you. Enjoy it. That's a hospitable God. Indeed. And to realize that this house that we're in, that we're living in, we didn't build it. We don't provide for it. Now you say, well, I go to work and then I go and I buy uh, groceries with the money and all that. But you know what? Those groceries, you didn't grow them. Man can't bring rain to nourish the earth. Man can't cause the sun to go up to provide what the earth needs. Man can't uh, uh, do the, the watering, the biological balance and all the things that this world needs. It's held in such a very tender and tedious balance. Who does that? God does that. We don't. He invites us to live here. It reminds me when I was in college, my senior year in college, something special. I had friends of, I had family of friends of mine. So these are people that I didn't personally know. They were family of friends of mine that uh, invited us to go to Phoenix, Arizona, uh, just to like vacation. So my good buddy, uh, Brian Woodbury and I, uh, we got on a plane. It was my very first ever plane ride. I was, I was like commercial plane ride. I was, I was 22 years old. I was so excited. Flew Delta out of St. Louis or Kansas City. Sorry. And to get above the clouds for the first time, I was like, ah, oh, this place is so beautiful. That's not the point. I flew to Phoenix. We flew to Phoenix and we got there and this family, they took us to their home. They said, here's the keys to the house. They said, here's the keys to our car. You can drive it wherever you want. It's your car for the next week. They said, here's the food in the kitchen. Eat whatever you want, as much as you want. Take whatever you want. They drove us to their club, their their like athletic club, workout club, which was this big, real nice thing, had a restaurant in it and all that. They said, here's our uh, ID number. Just eat at the restaurant, whatever you want. Order drinks while you work out. You just have yourself a great time. Well, when you're 22... And somebody gives you a car and a house and a club, that's a good time, right? What were they being? They were being hospitable, weren't they? Amazingly, generously hospitable. What has God done? The same. Built the house, put us in it, enjoy it. It's here for you. He is a great host. He is a hospitable God. And this is supremely seen in salvation. In salvation. The Bible talks about salvation in terms of God's hospitality to us. Let me give you an example. Colossians 1.13. 
For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. He rescued us from one place and brought us into another. Did we do the bringing? Did we do the rescuing? No. He has done this and placed us in the kingdom of the son. This is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. These are all descriptions of the realm of salvation and all the blessings and privileges that are ours in Christ. God has done this. Here we sit now in the kingdom of God. What did we do to get here? Nothing. God has done it. The Bible talks about this hospitality in terms of acceptance. What does it mean to be hospitable to somebody? When you allow them to use your car, your house, your whatever, you are accepting them. There is a relational acceptance. Listen to what Romans fifteen seven says. Accept one another then, just as Christ has accepted you. In order to bring praise to God. What is hospitality? God has accepted us in Christ. On the, on the merits of what Christ did on the cross for us, we are welcomed into the kingdom of God. Now he says, you need to accept one another in the same way that Christ has accepted you. In other words, God's vertical love to us is expressed through us horizontally in relationships with one another. And as we accept one another, notice the end of the verse, in order to bring praise to God. How is God praised when a group of Christians are kind and loving and hospitable to the people that come across them? Because this is how God has treated us, right? And so it is our delight then to mirror and to reflect that because we have tasted it ourselves. The hospitality of God. Now, we don't live in a very hospitable world, do we? This is a very, you know, sometimes parents say to their kids, you have no idea what the real world is like. Right? And the six-year-old goes, no, I don't. No, it's bad out there. And, and indeed it is. This is not a very kind world that we live in. It uh, reminds me of the movie years ago now, but you may remember the movie Pay It Forward. Uh, It's a movie where basically a kid does an act of kindness, uh, and the condition on that is that you've got to pay that forward and do a kind of random act of kindness to somebody else. And millions of people flock to see this movie. They're paying out money to see, you know, how much is the day? I don't care. I want to see Pay It Forward. Why did they go to the theater to see unexpected kindness? Because you never see that in the world that we live in. They're like, man, this is fantasy. This is movies, man. Wouldn't it be awesome if somebody would do that for me? And maybe you're sitting here right now going, you know what? This needs to be a more hospitable church and somebody had better be hospitable to me on the way out of here. (laughs) And if that's your sense of this, you are missing the point. It is not that I sit around and wait and hope somebody will be nice to me. It is rather that I realize that God has been nice to me in Christ, and now I am looking to be hospitable to those around me. The grace of God on display. That is Christian relationship. This is, uh, this is Christianity. I'll get to that in a moment. Now, there is a basis 
for hospitality, what I'm calling Christian hospitality, that if you don't get, it's going to be very hard to do this. So let me ground this in a certain doctrinal truth from Genesis chapter 1. Pages turning, Genesis 1. Could you turn there, please? Listen to the sound. It's like the, it's the, it's the sound of angels' wings fluttering. It's a good thing when God's people open their Bibles and look at things, I think. Genesis 127. Here's what it says. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let me read again. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The implications for that are massive. Talk about sexuality and what marriage means and all of that. That's not where we're applying it today. We're applying it to this reality. You will never meet somebody a human being who is not in God's eyes uniquely bestowed with dignity because he or she bears in their personhood the very likeness of the Most High God. We are created in the image of God. We bear a soul. We have a will. We have a mind. We are spiritual. We are personal. Like God is. And because of that, all human life has inherent worth and dignity. And it doesn't matter how big, how small, how young, how old, the condition of that human being, they have inherent worth. So that we go into the womb of a mother where there is a very small reflection of the image of God in that womb. And that human life has value and dignity. That was a good place for an amen. Because you know what I'm getting at there, right? So to take that life is to take the life of one who bears the image of God. Or to go to the other extreme. To find somebody who uh, their quality of life is not so good. They are old. They have nothing to add to society. They can't work. They're out of money. What do we need to do? Do we need to get rid of them? No. Why? That's not our call. That person bears the image of the Most High God. Or to go into a certain facilities around here that are are there to meet people with special needs. Where mentally or physically or whatever it is, things aren't quite functioning the way that they normally do. And they are, there's challenges there. But to see in them, even in that condition, that they bear the image of God means that they are, they have value and that they ought to be cared for and loved. This is why Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, you have done it to me. And when we ignore the needs of an image bearer, we are ignoring the value of the one whose image they bear. 
And when we meet the need of somebody who has a need, we are acknowledging the dignity and the worth of the one whose image that they bear. It comes back to God, in other words. And hospitality does, and it must. And that's why in James 1, he says, pure religion and undefiled is this, to look after the widow and to meet the needs of the orphan. Why is that pure religion? Because these are people that don't have anything to offer us. The poor widow, nothing to offer. The orphan, nothing to offer. So when I meet their need... What I am essentially doing, it is the purest religion because I am acknowledging in the meaning of that need, ultimately, the glory and the worth of the one whose image they bear. It comes back to God. Hospitality does. So that I can, let me give you this is my definition of hospitality. It is a recognition and respect of God's image in our fellow man which seeks to meet their needs as we would want others to meet our needs. Let me say it again. In fact, read this with me together, corporately. Hospitality is a recognition and respect of God's image in our fellow man, which seeks to meet their needs as we would want others to meet our needs. You hear then the language of the the golden rule in there, right? And our obligation to others is not conditioned upon circumstances. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And you probably know the story. There was a, a Jewish man who was beaten to a pulp, laying alongside the road, barely alive. Good, the, the Samaritan comes along and he sees the man. Now you want to talk about having all kinds of reasons not to help him. The Samaritan had it. Ethnic reasons. Long-standing hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews. Religious differences that they had. There's all of the unsightliness and the unseemliness of handling somebody who's beaten and bloodied and all. It's, it's, it's not my thing, right? If I was the, the good Samaritan, I could think of 15 ways to Sunday to rationalize not even helping this guy and being on my way, which is, by the way, what the Levite and the priest did and walked past. But in the parable, the Samaritan does not look at the circumstances of the individual as being the determining factor as to whether or not he should act on their behalf. Rather, he takes the matter upon himself and he ministers to the man, puts him on his own uh, donkey and takes him to the hotel, pays his bill, binds his wounds. Why would the Samaritan do that? Well, as Jesus makes the point here, the question of being a neighbor is not, uh, is not uh, who is my neighbor, but rather who can I be a neighbor to? And that gets to the point that I was making a moment ago. If you're sitting here going, this, oh, we need this around here. I hope the people around me that did not say hi to me before the service are listening to this. And I hope somebody is really nice to me on the way out the door today. That's not the issue. It's not about you. Okay? It is not about you. Hospitality is about me meeting the needs of others. Outward orientation. Like God has met my needs in Christ. So, poverty, race, social standing, education, pick your category. None of these are 
factors that filter people out of my need and responsibility to assist them and to love them. This is Christian hospitality. And friends, just every day, every week, we have interactions with people across the social spectrum, don't we? How about, how about, how do you treat the waitress, for example? Do you view her as your slave for the hour? Or do you look her in the eye and realize this is an image bearer? This is, this is a woman who's doing this because she's trying to meet needs and who knows what those are. How about the, uh, how about the toll booth operator? I had a weird experience. I don't have time to share very much, but I had a weird experience this week. Actually, I think it was yesterday, Friday. My parents picked me up from the airport. I flew back from Woodlands Camp. We're driving down the, the toll road, and, and we came to the toll booth. And for some reason, and I, know, I have the little easy pass, you know, so when I go, I don't even really know what I'm paying as I drive through. But my parents picked me up, so we have to pay every cash through the toll booth. And so we pull up to the toll booth, and they're like, how much is it? I go, I don't know how much it is. And for some reason, they didn't have the sign on saying how much it is. And I said, so I, pull, I rolled down the window, and I said, how much is it to the woman in the toll booth? And she just looked at me like this. And she just turned and goes, and all of a sudden, ding, on came, it was on, the how much it was. And then she looked back at me, said nothing, no smile, no expression whatsoever. I handed her a dollar. She dropped three dimes in my hand. I drove away. And we pulled away and we were like, that's sort of weird. That was strange, wasn't it? Is that somebody that I should treat with some dignity? How about the person at the checkout at the, the store? How about your neighbor? How about a family member in your own home? Yeah, the one you're thinking about right now. She doesn't bear the image of God, Pastor Steve. <laughs> yes, she does. And see, this is where I think the, the parable has its power, is that he, does, he doesn't say those that go and meet the needs of some remote tribe somewhere, those are the ones that are the sheep. The things that he's describing are the ordinary people and the ordinary moments in life where there is a unique grace and a unique love that Christians display, and it doesn't come from us. It is the love of God, as First John says, shed abroad in my heart and on display then in the horizontal relationships of my life. And nobody does it perfectly, and I've probably offended you three times myself. However, the overall feel of being around a believer in God and a believer in Christ ought to be one where there is a certain aroma, there is a certain sense that this is somebody who is viewing me as a real person. That's hospitality. The expression of hospitality in the church, we're in the final stretch here. If we had more time, we could turn to Acts 2, but if you know the story... One of the most remarkable things about the early church was this. 
that you had people from all over the world. They speak different languages. They're, 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 they have different backgrounds. And when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. Over the next while, thousands more are being saved there in Jerusalem. There was such a unifying heart. That word koinonia, right? Fellowship, commonality that the church had. And in the story, people are, they're, they're opening their homes to one another and they're, they're selling fields and providing for the needs of one another. There was a real unusual thing that went on between them horizontally. Why was that? Because the spirit had come and that binding of their hearts together in love and unity was such a remarkable demonstration in the early church that the emperor of Rome in 362 AD ordered the high priests of the cult religions to follow the example of the Christians because they were losing so much ground to them because the Christians were so kind and loving. People said there's got to be something to this. I wonder if today, wouldn't it be great if the false religions and the cults and all the rest are like, boy, if we're going to really make any inroads there in Crown Point, we have got to be as nice as those Bethel church people. Tell everyone. Follow the example of the Bethelonians. Maybe people will think there's something to our faith too. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's the sense of it. Well, what happened is over the 3rd and 4th century, slowly something began to change with that. And it was the institutionalization of hospitality. So that now hospitality was not necessarily something that I had to worry about. It was something that the church did. So that if you, if you found out that there was a need of some kind, what did you do? You call the church, right? Wait a second. The Good Samaritan did not call his pastor. He opened his heart and his wallet to meet the need. We need to do the same, is what I'm saying. Now, finally, how does this apply to where we are? I'm kind of painting a, this is a biblical theology of hospitality in this message today. Because you're going, I thought this was something about, like, the merger. I don't get it. I see no connection whatsoever between us joining with three or 400 people that we don't know and Christian hospitality. You may not bear the image of God, if that's what you're thinking right now. I say that jokingly. Because you're all getting it, aren't you? What are we doing here then? We have two congregations who have been on friendly terms and have had some uh, partnering over the years. But we don't know them. They don't know us. And yet we are like married. How do we relationally... Make this become one. Well, I hope they're friendly. Because if they ain't friendly, I ain't being friendly. Well, there you go, Mr. Goat. (laughs) The goats are going to struggle with this merger, I'm telling you. But the sheep are going to love it. Why? Because it's just doing with them what I do with my family member and my neighbor and it's just extending christian grace to them so here's what i want to tell you about that church they are full of sinners over there just like us 
They are in need of God's grace over there. Just like us. They've come to salvation by faith in Christ. Just like us. In other words, they're just people like us. Trying to make their way through the day. And to find our way into eternal dwellings. And I want to encourage us to take the lead in embracing them as brothers and sisters. In other words, it is not them and us, Bethel Community Bible. We are now one. It's not they and, and me. It is we and us. So let's use the right pronouns. And to express that in the way that we relate to one another. So as we blend these two church families, I just again want to tell you, there's going to be some clunky moments where you're going to go, boy, the church blew it on that one. Why didn't they see that? We've never done it before. So just give us grace. We're going to need it a few hundred times probably. There are difficult decisions to make. But here's what I want to say is that as we unify these churches, if we make error on one side or the other, let's err on the side of love in dealing with one another. I think the Lord would be honored by that. And so just to remind you, Romans 15:7, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Let's do it. You with me? All right. All that are with me, please stand for prayer. Heavenly Father, we offer our praise to you. We thank you that you have been a hospitable God. We thank you that we are under your grace. We thank you that we've tasted of your love. And we pray now that you would help us in a unique and new chapter of our church to take what we sing and what we uh, celebrate. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, oh, how he loves us. And to take that and go horizontal with it and to share it and to help us to welcome and to make room in our hearts for new family and a new day. And we pray today for Community Bible that you would bless them, uh, that you would encourage them, and that you would give them great anticipation of mutual ministry together for many years to come. We love you, we thank you, and we offer ourselves to you again. In Jesus' name, amen.